welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Georgi Ganev, who has been CEO of Shinovic since 2018. Shinovic is one of Europe's leading listed investors in tech-enabled businesses and backs some of the most exciting health tech companies in the world, including Babylon Health, Village MD, CityBlock and Teladoc Health. Georgie is a technology expert with deep industry experience and a passion for growth stage businesses that are disrupting incumbents and making life better for people everywhere. He recently led Shinovic through its latest successful strategic pivot and is now focused on backing the business models that will underpin shifting consumer trends as the world emerges from the worst of the pandemic. Georgie, what an introduction. Um, it is a pleasure to have you on board. Um, how are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm also pleased for that introduction. I'm <laughs> fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. I'm very well. I'm actually recovering. My dog, uh, I collided heads with my dog, and so his tooth caught my eye. So Ooh. I've been, uh, yeah, it was really unpleasant for two weeks, but I'm on the mend, and I can uh, I can go out into the bright sunshine again, so I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. Uh, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Georgie? I'm sitting in Stockholm, actually having a dog myself who is uh, 11 months old, the Beagle. So I know. Oh, lovely. Yeah, uh, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. They are, they are a lot of fun as long as they don't yeah. bite your eye, I can tell you. <laughs> um, cool. So, um, yeah, we're here to talk about you, your background, what you're up to. It's a really, obviously, interesting story through technology up to where you are now and, and now involved at sort of board level with the likes of Babylon Health. Really looking forward to getting into this. Um, the way that we start these podcasts is we get you to tell your story. So by all means, tell the long version. Where, where did it all begin for you? Okay. I mean, I would start probably with my background then. I am an engineer by training. Mm-hmm. Uh, always been, you know, fascinated uh, by technology and, and maybe more what you can do, what you can accomplish with, with technology. And after my studies, I was a co-founder of a company that developed kind of speech technology solutions. So think about, you know, Siri and the iPhone or Alexa, uh, but I would say 20 years too early. So in theory, it did work great, but in, in practice, I think it was very difficult without the smartphones and so forth. But but one of our customers were actually Tele2, uh, one of the portfolio companies within Shinovic. So that's how I actually came in touch with Shinovic. And, and I was hired after a couple of years um, to join Tele2 as a technical product manager. So I was part of, of uh, you know, developing, developing services for the, at that time, kind of data networks in the 2G network. So wow. again, b- before the smartphone, <laughs> sounds Asian today, but that, that's- You don't look old enough, Georgie, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then that developed into some other more kind of roles within sales and marketing and so forth. Yeah. And I later joined another kind of ISP, so internet service provider. I became the CEO and then I moved into more kind of e-commerce um, related businesses. And I was CEO for a company that that sold kind of IT equipment online. And I was there for five, six years. We were owned by a private equity firm. And and that company also decided to to IPO uh, the company I was CEO for. So I was part of that that very exciting uh, journey, uh, and at that time, uh, I think Tele2 saw my name again, and they thought that uh, why don't we add 
you know, a person with that experience still knowing the culture of, let's say, the group and the owners uh, into the board of Tele2. So I joined as a independent director at Tele2 2016. Uh, and the year after, I was asked if I was, you know, uh, open for joining Shinevik as a CEO. And to be honest, at that time, I thought it was a joke, more or less, because <laughs> having more of a operation, operational background, yeah. being an operator my whole career, right, with an engineering background, I, I had that, you know, view that you needed to be a, you know, banker, at least an ex-banker in order to get this job. So I, I, I said, no, uh, I don't think I'm the right candidate for the job, to be honest. Um, but after a while and uh, another follow-up question by the lead shareholder, I was thinking about the opportunity and I wanted to meet uh, the board at that time to, to hear more about the, the kind of the vision and where the company was heading. And of course, understanding that it's, it's a lot about transformation so we can we can get into that later on, but but Chinovic is a company that never stands still. I would say it's always kind of moving and trying out new things, boldly backing new business models as such, and also being I would say very close to the founders, to the entrepreneurs. Um, I kind of felt that this is this is exciting, uh, and and going from kind of the CEO position, of course, with some exposure to kind of board work but taking kind of the next step, being the owner and backing these founders for the long-term was something that I was intrigued about. So mm. I, I, I took a decision quite fast then that, yeah, let's, let's at least you know, apply for the job and see if I can get it. And a couple of weeks later, I would say middle of 2017, it was decided that I, I should actually become the, the CEO of Shinovic. So that, that's the... I would say the medium long story, at least, how I ended up here. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely want to get into this because I think the investment the investment world is is full of people from lots of different backgrounds. As you say, there are people that have obviously gone from investment banking, or you know, they might and then straight or straight into, I suppose, investors and have been career investors in VC or private equity and things like that. There's also, I suppose, those that have been operational your journey is one of engineering a profession and then an operator within a company and actually broad experience as an operator within a company as well all the way up to that ceo point and then obviously becoming an investor i think a really interesting part of your journey though is having that opportunity to then go and become an investor and actually turning around and saying no and actually saying that that isn't the right thing I'm intrigued. Is that because you didn't think that that job was right for you or that you weren't right for that job or a mixture of the two? What was it that made you say no? Because it, it must take some self-awareness to have what, what a lot of people might consider a golden ticket to just be on the other side of the, of, of the table where you're the one listening to the pitches and, and all the rest of it rather than um, being an operator within the company. I'm interested in that decision. I mean, I think... For me, at that time, um, it was more about this job wasn't something for me, to be honest. Yeah, okay. Because, because, because I felt, you know, as an operator, you're used to be part of what I call direct decisions. Yes. It goes very fast. You do something and you immediately thereafter can see if it has an effect or not, right? It's a bit going to 
you know, you, end, you buy a ticket to a roller coaster. It goes very fast back and forth, up and down, right? Yeah. But, 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 but this is something completely different. You have more of, I would say, the indirect effects for the yes. term. And, and at that time, if I go back to 2017, I had that view that, you know, it's too far away from the action, if you will. Yeah, okay. And, and, and it wasn't something for me. But of course, I didn't think at the same time that I could do a good job in this mm. role. But it started off by me thinking, no, it's not really something for me. But then, of course, I think it was because I didn't know anything about, you know, investment, <laughs> yeah. investing for, from yeah. this perspective. And I, I, I had too little information about the long-term vision of Shinovic and the D- DNA of Shinovic. Understanding that, understanding the potential and the need then, of course, I realized that, wow, this could be something exciting and interesting and potentially, as you said, a golden ticket. Mm. Then I started to actually doubt myself a bit and saying that, okay, will I actually be able to do this? Mm. So, so to be honest, it, it, it was a kind of this kind of transition of going to, yeah, maybe this sounds interesting, but am I up for it? Yes. So, so I started to doubt myself uh, and I became very nervous, to be honest. Mm. Uh, the imposter syndrome again, creeps in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then after, again, uh, a few more conversations and I spoke to some people that I, I, I you know, highly trust. And, and then I, I decided to, let's, let's try it at least. It's a really interesting way you've uh, explained that, actually. Direct decisions and being close to those direct decisions. Do you know when I noticed that, actually, when I moved from anesthetics into just not clinical medicine, still being part of healthcare, and in fact, I was part of an accelerator, so very close to startups and helping them, but obviously one stage removed. So I went from a situation where I was literally giving anesthetic drugs and watching a reaction of a loss of consciousness and similarly the other way around and pain relief and all those different things where the feedback loop is incredibly small the reward to the patient and to me by proxy is rapid and great to then a really indirect world. And I think this is something that people, when they leave medicine, think that perhaps the grass is greener in lots of ways that it isn't. And actually that is the, I would say one thing that I really, really missed. Mm -hmm. And so for me, when I entered the accelerator world, it was then I was on the opposite journey, or I suppose a similar mindset, but an opposite journey of how do I now get closer to the action? And so that's what I then, that's how I then went down into, into being an operator and, and now CEO and all these different things that I do, mm. which means that I am now part of those direct decisions and growth and growing team mm. and, and, you know, the sharp end of learning about leadership and by doing and all those different things. And I think, yeah, I, th- I think it's a really, just a really interesting, interesting framework. I think the other thing there is self-awareness. I think it's really nice to hear that you're somebody who thinks deeply about the roles that they're going to go into. It's not this kind of fake it until you make it. It's more, how can I actually learn about what's on the other side and figure out, is this actually right for me? I think that is something that can be deployed a lot more as well. I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast think that being a startup founder is just, you know, glamorized and a very good thing to do. And, and almost there's pressure to do it from a lot of people, particularly from inside clinical medicine at the moment that feels like everyone's got to have a company everyone's got to have a thing it just might not always be the best thing for everybody so i really like the fact that you're 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 clearly somebody who would advocate for learning about what you're about to go into figuring out whether it is right for you um but 
you have high standards of yourself. Therefore, you want to be good at things. You want to be the best at things. And and some doubt there is going to drive you to be better. So I think that's good too. Um, but a really, really interesting journey. So where we're at in the story now, obviously, you've then transitioned into Shinovic. You've mentioned transformation, innovation. It sounded like a fund on the move. It sounded like a fund that was that was going somewhere very interesting and very good. Where was it when you arrived there? And what was this transformation that you were part of? I think we need to zoom out a bit because Shinovic is one of those, you know, entrepreneurial investment firms uh, founded back in 1936. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. We were <laughs> more than 80 years old, right? Wow. 80 years young, young, depending on what you see. Uh, and, and I think... It's, it's not the first time we're completing kind of changing our portfolio and the way we work. Uh, if I go back to the 80s or 90s, mm. uh, Shinovic basically founded and we're part of backing new companies within the telecom and media segments, right? Sector. Yep. Uh, fantastic transformation out of kind of more industrial investments and so forth. Uh, then in the beginning of 2000 and, and, and 2010, uh, there was this kind of other pivot of, of investing more into classified businesses and Shinovic became um, kind of the largest shareholder of Zalando in 2010. Mm. And I think the third pivot was uh, more or less about to happen when I joined, which is once again, a shift from kind of a bit more mature companies into a younger portfolio uh, and, and completely new sectors. Once again, mm. healthcare being today our most important one. So if I go back in 2018, we had just you know, dipped our toes in the sector and the portfolio, if I look at the portfolio at that time, less than 3% of the net um, asset value uh, was within healthcare. Hmm. Today is, is, is moving towards you know, 40% of the, of the, of the NAV. Wow. Uh, which shows uh, you know, what you're able to create in just you know, three, four years. And, and I had that kind of uh, vision outlined, not the blueprint, uh, that the company wanted to do yet another transformation, uh, shift focus, um, redeploy capital as a permanent capital vehicle, move them from kind of the more mature assets into the younger assets, potentially into new sectors. We had the backup or the support from, you know, the lead shareholders, which I think is, is, is something that you need during these transformations. It's difficult as a public company, if you're measured only kind of on a quarterly mm. basis to do these kind of pivots or transformations, but having long-term owners, you can actually have long-term plans. Yes. So that was outlined, but not the blueprint that said. And what I realized after a while, definitely after joining Shinovic, that this could actually be the best of two worlds because on one hand side, it, I had to sharpen my kind of strategic lens and how I could be part of a lot more strategic decisions as an investor, right? And this within this transformation. But at the same time, we are also as a long-term partner, very close to the founders and to the teams where you're also sharing the anxiety and the headache of these founders, right? And you're part of many, many operational decisions. Not that you as an owner, of course, take these decisions typically on a daily basis, 
but you're part of them and you're you're close to them. So I felt that my background as an operator could actually, you know, fit this role uh, or, or, or I could add value by both being close to these founders, these portfolio companies, if you will. And, and also, you know, again, being part of, of those long-term strategic decisions. Mm. So, so very exciting. And now uh, almost four years into that kind of journey and that transformation, we have, again, together with a team, uh, which I should say is a very diverse team within Shinovic because you could claim that you need to be this and that in order to make a good investment. But I actually have a you know, profound belief that you need to have a diverse team in order to, to make sure that all the questions are asked before you take a decision. And you need to look at things from all different perspectives. Uh, and that's, I think, is part of our success that we have the ability to to look at things from all these perspectives. Um, and um, uh, I think we, as a team, have been been uh, quite lucky and successful so forth. Um, still being humble because it's a very competitive <laughs> market, and uh, you know a lot of things happening more or less every day. So you need to really stay on your toes. Mm. So let's talk about the fund then, in terms of high level ticket size what do you look for yeah just sort of rough roughly who who, who you guys looking at in terms of investments and and how do you operate i think the the, the core part is that shinovic you know we we want to make consumers lives better uh, i mean if we talk specifically healthcare it's about you know making the lives better through the investments in healthcare for the long term and, and we have seen continuous success doing so because once again we're not a traditional fund with a you know seven to ten years horizon we actually mm. can invest for when we say long term it could be for generations right wow so that's i think the 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 strength being a permanent capital vehicle uh, and i have a few examples of that i think when when i joined chinovic we had deployed around 10 million dollars in this small company called nevongo in the u.s <laughs> You know, uh, small company. <laughs> yeah, at that time, relatively small, actually. But we we realized pretty quickly that the team was, you know, something special. Yeah. And the founder Glenn Talman, a serial entrepreneur, uh, really understood this this business uh, both from a personal point of view. Um, with his son, uh, you know, having diabetes, which is something I actually share myself, having a fifty years old son that that got diabetes type type one when he was one year old. So I already understood how important it was to really understand the consumer and yeah. understand the challenge within this industry. Uh, that combined with, of course, a, an enormous TAM. So the addressable market is just huge. Yeah. So we backed that company. But what's interesting, I think, is that we, uh, a few rounds later, I think if, if it was uh, the next round, we led that. Uh, and then at the IPO, we had already, you know, made a very good return on that investment just a couple of years later on. Mm. But instead of selling out, Shinovic decided to deploy yet again. It's interesting. A, a large ticket. And, and in terms of size, since you asked, the first one was, again, around 10 million or so, a bit north of 10. Mm. I think the next time we led, it was around 40 million. And at the IPO, we invested another $88 million dollars. 
So on an aggregated level, it's way above $100 million. But we did that over a number of years, yeah. showing again that the IPO for us with Levongo was not the exit, not the end, but actually yeah. the start of another journey. Yeah. And now in hindsight, of course, after the acquisition um, by Teladoc, that's how we became actually the second largest institutional shareholders in Teladoc. We are now, we're now looking at that journey and we're really asking that, 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 that kind of the biggest return in terms of you know, capital in absolute terms um, has been after the, the IPO. So I think the long-term approach is not only valuable from a return perspective in this industry, but it's also a way for us to be a partner to these founders over the different stages. If yes. You yes. So for them, knowing that they early on can get that anchor investor in the cap table already in the beginning and then rely on that partner. So if they deliver, of course, that's the, that's the caveat. <laughs> they need to deliver. But if we can deliver together a temporary setback or a temporary change mm-hmm. in the in the kind of capital markets wouldn't make us more hesitant to back these companies if yes. we believe in the long-term vision. Yes. So that I think is a better way to to describe with an example how we could operate. Yeah, it's a very compelling offer for a founder knowing that if they have the trust of their investor that that investor is going to follow on and not only follow on to any particular point following on until that vision is met i think that's a really interesting thing it, it must be part part of your process then in terms of your due diligence is obviously looking at the team obviously is going to be looking at the team in some way shape or form is then you because you've mentioned motivation from that founder particularly in the knowledge of the sector through a personal experience and that being a key indicator from that perspective is looking at the motivation of the team looking at the vision of the team is that weighted particularly heavy in what you're doing? Do you need that long-term thinking and that long-term view from the people that you're investing in? Are there any occasions where you're looking at quicker wins or is it always this that you're looking for from the people in which you invest? We definitely look you know, for that long-term journey. Uh, then for some reason, some, some kind of investment might not last for that long because of different you know, reasons. Uh, and 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 uh, we might be, of course, also opportunistic as an investor if if, if sure. we need to. But I think we go in with that long term approach. Mm. And I would agree that team is definitely a central central part of it. I mean, especially the founder. Uh, if we don't see a complete team, we're not afraid of 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 investing because we also think we can add value. Uh, uh, you know. Uh, from that perspective as well, having a strong network, having you know people within the Shinovic organization that actually can contribute uh, in finding the right people for companies, both on kind of board level, but also uh, in the management level, is something that we have done and we will probably do again. But then again, going back to what do we look for? I think. Shinovic being very consumer focused, we've been part of, of, you know, backing kind of less mature business models Mm -hmm. before they pan out and before they kind of become something that everyone understands. uh, and, and, And before we have all these proof points, we're willing to take that risk early on. 
And we're willing to take that risk because we can apply what we have learned from other sectors uh, into new type of business models, into new sectors. So to give you a few examples, I, I said, when I joined Chinevik, the biggest success um, was the, the investment in Zalando, right? So mm. back in 2010, we were pioneers backing, you know, e-com uh, within fashion, right? When no one believed in that. Having then 10 years of, of, of kind of, of um, success and, and a good return have also given us a lot of kind of experience from that type of business model. And now we're able to apply it on different subsectors, both within, I would say, marketplaces and, and other kind of e-com opportunities, but also understanding from that, that, that kind of consumer-centric approach. So I think the first investment we did, or the, the few first, like Babylon Health and Livongo and others, what we brought to the table was probably not deep expertise within healthcare, mm but more kind of how do you scale up a, a consumer-focused company and how should these players have the customer or the end user, the member, the patient, you know, in mind all the time. And then, of course, after a number of years and, and expanding our networks of advisors and, and, of course, hiring people and also having a team that understand healthcare, we have developed a deep expertise within the area, I would say, um, but we will never be as good or as, you know, as much of an expert as the founder of a new company, but we have, we have understanding of, of the sector. So looking at the, the model, uh, trying to find a way that we can help the company to grow is also, I think, very much um, something we look for. Yeah. You talked about the learning from other sectors and applying that to healthcare. Again, I think this is an interesting area because so many people tend to say, well, well, healthcare is just so different. It's impossible to to take other things and and bring them to healthcare. Obviously there's areas that you can, you've mentioned obviously purely the scale of a business that's consumer centric. If you take consumer to mean patient and obviously all the learnings from the sectors there. I mean, are, are there any other particular areas or similarities and differences that you have seen, obviously going from a portfolio of 3% to 40% in healthcare, there's a heck of a lot of journey, uh, learning along that journey in terms of similarities and differences to other sectors. What have you noticed personally, if anything, in terms of those differences and similarities? I think there are, of course, a lot of differences in terms of you know a complex market a regulated market and so forth yeah uh, if you compare selling shoes online versus you know dealing with people's lives i think you need to have a a, 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 a deep respect for that that's also why we have partnered up with with many strong advisors mm. in this field and we did so early on but what we saw directly from an outside in perspective you you didn't have to be a, you know, an ex- healthcare expert to understand that. That's the fact that the healthcare systems are definitely broken. Mm-hmm. I think they have been, that, they have, they have been broken for, for quite some time. And I think the pandemic has even highlighted and exacerbated these issues for patients you know, across the globe. And we saw the big opportunity in the US to start with, but also uh, through our investment in, in Babylon Health and the U- UK, 
that you know inefficiencies are preventing the personalization of care and they are limiting the positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the healthcare sector, I mean, the lack of 24-7 accessibility is definitely not in line with other services in the 21st century. And, and costs are, you know, they are skyrocketing, they are causing inequities, uh, you know, gravely impacting both patients and businesses. And we see today that insurance payments are regularly bankrupting SMEs in, in, in some private healthcare markets, for example. And this needs to change. The system needs to change. And I think the consumer experience, you know, have to be placed at the center. That's something we saw. And that's something that is not unique to healthcare. Uh, and that, that's our view. And we also believed when we look at the, looked at the, the sector, that the future is, you know, value-based care. Uh, because value-based care will offer, you know, both, you know, significant opportunities for providers, but also for consumers. So, so we can go more into that, but that's something <laughs> we saw, we saw quite early on, I would say. Well, that is a good point. And my question there would then be, is that what you believe unites the portfolio that you do have currently in healthcare? The fact that you're looking more at value-based healthcare and, and those companies that are appreciating that and leaning towards that in terms of business model and, and the way they go about things? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think, I mean, at the end, gravity will take us there. I think it's basically <laughs> yeah. where we are going. But, but I think from a portfolio perspective, we have more or less kind of three buckets, uh, one being more kind of virtual care, the other kind of value-based care, and the third more infrastructure uh, type of companies, uh, you know, increasing the, or, or, or improving the efficiency of, of, of large providers mm. uh, or payers. So those would be the three buckets, but I think they're also kind of quite blurred, especially between telemedicine and virtual care and value-based care. Because I think value-based care as a framework, you know, for the healthcare system with this overarching goal of, of you know, to give value for patients uh, is something that, that we believe in. I think mm. more importantly, uh, to have the incentives, you know, shifted for mm. kind of medical professionals to go away from, from getting patients through the door mm. uh, to actually... Uh, towards making cost-efficient choices based on, on, you know, patient satisfactions and outcomes. I think mm-hmm. that that is what we see. And if I look today at the portfolio with companies like Village MD, CityBlock, but also Babylon Health now, um, started out as a more kind of telemedicine platform uh, using AI, but also now moving into value-based care and combining those two dimensions uh, is something that we think is, is very exciting. Nice. Someone said to me once, a phrase that always stuck with me, that investors pick the world we live in next. And it seems to be very true. It's a very privileged position to be in seeing the business models of the future, the technology of the future, and being able to have a hand in in really, you know, putting a stepwise um, or step towards that future, which is incredibly exciting. It must be good for you. I mean, obviously, your background as an engineer, even the background of the fund in things like telecoms, seeing all this data that's now coming into healthcare, seeing all the potential, seeing all the pitches and the companies you're tracking, it must be an exciting spot to be in right now in terms of healthcare. It strikes me particularly that we might even start speaking of a a world 
pre-AI and post-AI in terms of all of the value that that can bring. It obviously needs to be brought in the correct way and, you know, in clinical workflows and all the rest of it and all the usual caveats that people talk about with AI. I, I, my question here, I suppose, is how exciting is it from your perspective? Is that tapered with a bit of realism? Is it pure excitement because of the things you're looking at? Where do you sit on that spectrum? And first of all, just to comment what you say regarding being, you know, um, being at this, this position that we have, we have the opportunity to look into the future, if you will. Mm. But I think even more rewarding, uh, the feeling that you have as an investor, as a long-term partner, as we are, to actually be part of, of creating that future, you know, to reimagine what is possible to do. Again, we don't say that we are the one building these companies. It's definitely the teams and the founders. And then you have the board, you know, and then you have the owners. So, so that's not what we're saying. But it's, it's very rewarding to, to know that the capital that we provide for the long term can make a big difference. So it's, it's, it's understanding what the future could look like, believing in it, and also being part of making it happen. That is basically to really sell in the job, if you, <laughs> you know, to, to say that that's that that's the exciting part. And I definitely think that the world of data and AI is very, you know, exciting. Uh, it could be dangerous as well, obviously, because you need to make sure that those algos uh, treat people in an equal way uh, and provide provide people with equal opportunities. That's something that's been discussed for quite some time now. And that also that you you balance, you know, new type of technologies and and, and so with the risks. And again, when you deal with people's lives, uh, you need to, to be very respectful of that uh, and take it super seriously. Um, but I think sometimes people misunderstand technology and they think that AI will or is here to replace doctors. In my view, uh, technology is here uh, together with AI and the use of data to make doctors 10 times more efficient. Mm -hmm. And not only the doctors, to be honest, it's basically this, you know, staff, hospital staff, and you know, ev everyone basically working with this. So how can we make, how can we make doctors spending more time uh, with the patients and understanding them, you know, having this holistic approach. And again, we just invested in a company called Parsley Health that, uh, you know, they have the vision to, to really serve, you know, women, um, a completely underserved community. If you look at, you know, m many of the, the, the issues and potential chronic decisions from a holistic perspective. And that I think can only be done in a cost-efficient way. If you combine virtual treatments, virtual care, the use of data uh, with, I would say, physical kind of uh, lookups and, and, and having contact with a real doctor. That combination in an efficient way could, I think, change the way we, we look at, at, at chronic decisions um, and, and, and particularly women's health. Mm. I do also believe that AI and, and technology more broadly is only ever going to be part of the team. I think it has to emancipate clinicians to practice at the top of their license and essentially put care back into healthcare. If you look at more of a, a workforce system level. So I, I absolutely believe 
that is the right way to go. I mean, it really sounds like you guys have, have you're living true to that long-term thinking, long-term partner, long-term vision way of doing things. And you're right. I think the seven to 10 year funds that have to focus on quicker exits are perhaps more disadvantaged when it comes to something like healthcare, which might need longer times to, to deliver value or indeed, well, whether that's financially or indeed the vision of what the, the founders originally wanted, it can take longer than that. I think you guys are in an incredibly strong position to be able to, to be able to focus on that. And obviously the strong, the, the business support that you're giving is extremely strong. You've got a, a huge track record of helping those businesses right back to 1936, which is very cool. Um, and being part of an organization that pivots to, to modernize itself is also super exciting. It sounds like, a, honestly, it sounds like a dream job, man. So you're in an <laughs> awesome, awesome spot. Um, while, while we wrap up, um, I just wondered, for those people listening, obviously there'll be companies listening that might want to get in touch with you. There, there might be people that are looking to get into the investment world. Do you have any kind of final word to people out there in the health tech space about investing at this level, perhaps to the companies that might be looking to get in touch with you, what would you say to those people? I mean, I think that what we're looking for is, is you know, this exciting uh, vision, for sure. Mm. Uh, we would like to have founders in our portfolio. We would like to back founders that, that you know, are here to make a change, uh, to make, you know, people's lives better and, and really be part of, of reimagining the future. And, and, if they are there for the long-term journey and not the quick exit, uh, I think we could definitely look at it. Then, of course, it depends if, if we feel it's the right company for us, if we can add value and so forth. If, you know, you can drill down to unit economics. And so forth. <laughs> but, but I think it starts with the long-term approach. Uh, and not every founder that we meet um, is, is a good match. With what we're doing, yeah. um, I'm not saying it is 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 you know good or bad or anything like that. But I think we will we will be very open and we will be very honest from day one with someone. So when we get into a potential fundraise or so, we expose ourselves very early on who we are, what we do, what we like, and and then we expect the the founder and the team to do exactly the same. So to have that very authentic style and, and, and honest and transparent style, if you will, is, is something we appreciate. And if there's a match, we tend to agree on, on the next steps. So we have a very good, I would say, um, good rate of, of, of closing deals as long as we can agree on those kind of long-term factors. Awesome. George, it's been a pleasure having you on, sir. Um, if people want to get in touch with you or to learn more about Shinovic, what's the best way for them to find out more info? They should start by, by uh, dropping me a mail at gg at shinovic.com. Awesome. And I imagine going to the website too, they can find out more about yeah, what you do. Of course. And we'll stick the links to those in the description of this episode. So Georgie, as I say, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.